We certainly want to welcome those joining us at the center today and uh, those that are watching us online, streaming in. And uh, thank you for each week, uh, just overwhelmed at how many people respond in different ways, emails, phone calls, they'll stop us from time to time and just share how much all the digital footprint has meant and so many, I know those at home today can't see, but our crowds continue to grow here in the sanctuary. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that God's people are coming back to God's house and uh, we'll, we'll continue to keep you safe. If we get to that point that we can't keep every other pew, uh, there's still plenty of pews up here on the sides. Uh, but man, it's just so great to see so many of you back. And that tells us a couple things. It tells us that you're feeling safer and it tells us that you feel somewhat safe about our environment here. But uh, it also tells us something that really uh, goes against the all the data that's coming out saying that many people, even past p- uh, pandemic, will not be returning uh, in, in, in terms of live worship. And man, I certainly hope that's not the case. I don't have a crystal ball, but I do know this. People at some point will be starved for the real fellowship of God's people. I mean, we gripe and whine about the politics of church and people don't get along and we're like porcupines. We bristle each other to, I mean, to death. But boy, when we lose that, don't we miss that? And I think that's what the Bible teaches us about this koinonia, this true Bible fellowship. And uh, we'll continue to strive to have that kind of environment. Hey, we're uh, just in week number two of talking about who we are. It's important for us to, from time to time to go back and just say, hey, we are. We are this in terms of our belief system, our doctrine. And last week we talked about that important element of that we are people of the word. We are Bible people. When we gather together, that's the centrality. That's, that's why uh, in many churches, you'll have two pulpits. You'll have a, a pulpit up, up on high, elevated higher over here on this side. And then over here on that side, you'll have another pulpit. And somebody will come over here on the side of a sanctuary and they'll read from God's word. And then a little later, somebody over here will bring the message on that side. That's why the word of God is the center point of who we are as Bible-believing people. It's the center point of everything we do. Now, there's a lot of great ministries in the New Testament church, and I value, I think, pretty much every one of them except the bowling ministry. But the ministry in the New Testament church is the ministry of the proclamation of God's word. Really, everything else is ancillary. Everything else, in some form or fashion, is a support. That's not to downgrade our great worship and our music ministry. Whoa, that's so important. But the proclamation of God's word. Well, we don't want to go back to that. We talked about that last week. Second thing today, grab your notes in your Bible and go ahead and head over there to 1 John. And scroll to chapter number five and hang out there for a moment because today I want us to talk about that second very important element of who we are and that is we are a people of prayer. We are a people of prayer. That is a priority. Now being completely transparent today and you know that's pretty much the only way I know to be. Uh, We need to have in our fellowship, Michael Cook needs to have in his life, 
I think most of us, if we were being really transparent today, most of us would be in this camp. We need to pray with more intensity and more frequency. We're probably not where we need to be in terms of prayer. And so today we're just going to hunker down and spend some time talking about this element of prayer. Now, can I just be, again, up front with you? I think it would be a moot point, especially with the audience that we have tuning in and, and certainly those that we have in our actual venues today at the center and here and these two services are ongoing at this current time to try to convince you that the Bible teaches us how important it is to pray. When you begin to unfold your Bible, it doesn't take long. The Old Testament is filled with scriptures that talk to us about the importance of prayer. For instance, you can get over there in Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, hey, when it comes to God and our communication with him, God says, call upon him, pray to him, and he will listen. I mean, you can get over there way deep into your New Testament and, and we see it even becomes more pointed. The book of Thessalonians, we just have a simple mandate, pray without ceasing. And when we end our message today, we're gonna head over there and listen to Jesus' actual words about prayer. We're gonna dissect that at the very end today when Jesus shared with those disciples, hey, hey, hey guys, Whatever you do in terms of calling upon my name, those things that you need, I will grant them to you. And so for us today, I, I, I would hope that most of us have transcended that place scripturally and we understand the importance of prayer. But I think for so many of us, we're struggling today with knowing how to pray and knowing exactly what to pray for. When I talk to believers and, and are part of prayer lives, when we circle up and pray, when our staff prays, when, when I, I, and I'm just listening to the heartbeat of people, so many times people don't know how to pray and specifically what to pray for. Pastor, help me. My dad is terminally ill. What do I pray for? Do I pray for healing? When all the medical science says he will not live much longer. And Pastor, I see my father laying up there in that bed and he's struggling. He has no quality of life. Pastor, can you tell me what I need to pray for? And so today, I want to take us to one of the great, great passages in all the Bible that helps us to be able to focus in on what to pray for and how to pray. Now, proven by survey, we really don't know what to pray for. Some of you uh, noticed, what was it about, just a few months ago, this incredible partnership between Max Licato and our own Lifeway. They came together, Lakato and Lifeway, two L's, uh, no pun intended there, and they did a survey, what was it, 1,200, 1,500 believers, and boy, they were very careful to get a good sampling from all of the U.S. states. And they, and they polled evangelicals, people that profess to be believers about what they prayed for. 
You can go online and look at this. It's, it's really fascinating. I just share a little of it with you today. But I was so proud as I was reading through that survey. 56% of all of those that were surveyed said they pray about their own sin in their life. And I read that and I thought, hey, that's pretty good. Uh, almost six out of 10 people say, hey, we spend some time regularly in prayer confessing our sin, praying to God about our sin, the challenges we have. And it was like in my heart, yes. And then I was taken back. 46% of those polls said, hey, I'll tell you something else we pray for. We pray for our enemies. Now, they didn't say how they prayed, but they did say at least there was an acknowledgement, we pray for our enemies. And it was like, yes. That's what it's all about. 44% said, and how timely, we pray about natural disasters, things that are happening medically and hurricanes and weather and natural disasters, things that come on. But it didn't take me very long in reading to quickly lose the shine of my excitement about people's prayer topics. 20% of those surveys said, we pray every single day to win the lottery. That's what the survey said. 14% said they prayed often, regularly, that the Lord would avenge those that had hurt them. I was fascinated to see that 11% of all those surveyed said, we spend time regularly praying for our favorite team to win. 9% said we've prayed for a good parking spot from time to time. 7% of people surveyed said we have actually prayed that we would not get caught speeding. And I just toss that out there within the last year of surveying people about their prayer lives. We really struggle. Not only are we not attentive with enough frequency and intensity about our prayer lives, we really struggle about what to pray for and how to pray. And when you come to 1 John, John writes something, I think, right out of the heartbeat of John chapter 14 that we'll get to. But John writes and drives home something that the Lord Jesus taught him earlier in his ministry. He drives home in two simple verses a 100% guarantee in terms of prayer life that when we pray in this manner, God will hear and he will answer. And I just ask you, is there any better guarantee than 100%? And you and I have got to come to understand something when it comes to prayer. If we are a people of prayer, we've got to be able to understand that prayer prayed in the will of God is always guaranteed to accomplish the work of God every single time. And so today, what I hope that you'll do is to latch on with me. I'm going to do my very best to bring you into this dimension of prayer that surrounds God's will. We are a people of prayer, but we are a people of prayer following his will and his will only. No other will except his. 
Now with that in mind, let's start with a very important statement. I want you to jot it down so you'll remember it today. When our prayers are focused correctly, God will answer positively. When our prayers are focused correctly, God will answer positively in a positive way. Three things I want to just show you today out of 1 John chapter number five and beginning in verse 14. Let's read those two verses. They hang together. Let's read those two verses. Now I just want to toss out these three things and then we'll head to lunch, wherever that may be. I'm just so thankful you're here. Are you thankful to be here today? Here's what God's word says. 1 John chapter five, follow along in verse number 14. This is the confidence. And boy, that's a huge word. This is the confidence, John says. We, notice that pronoun, we have in approaching God. And now he's gonna, he's gonna come right to it. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. John helps us here. He helps us with three very important aspects of our prayer lives, how to pray and what to pray for. Number one, jot it down. John shares that the will of God is if we use the will of God and appropriate that in our lives, it's going to help our prayers. The will of God helps our prayers. Now, with your Bibles there, notice this word confidence. Look at it again. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Now, that word confidence in the Greek language really is a political term. It's a, it's a, it's a term that represents freedom of speech. It's political in the essence that it really was mentioned here the way it's used in terms of someone standing up with a group around them and having the freedom without any restraint to share whatever message they want with no bondage, with no ties, with, with nothing that would hinder. And with that concept, it's that John is saying as you and I approach God in prayer, we need to do so with a complete freedom but be released from any hint of our, our own selfish desires as we gather unto him. You remember the Lord's Prayer that's been stricken out of many public places. But you remember two important concepts out of that Lord's Prayer, I hope you do. Remember, right there in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. You remember that next statement? King James Version Thy will be done. Your will be done. And you see, the more determined that you and I are to be in the center of God's will, when we go and we have that time to pray with our Lord, the more effective our prayer lives are going to be. We think about one of the great allies of the American people, at least through all of American history has been Great Britain. There's really not a nation that we're more closely tied to historically in many different ways than Great Britain. And just remember, their government has a number of tenants like ours or ours like theirs. They have this parliament system. They have within that parliament something called the House of Commons. It's kind of like our Congress. 
And one of the innate abilities of that governmental system is for the House of Congress, if they're not happy with the way things are going and things break down and get dysfunctional, unlike America, they have the ability to call, something, call for something called a vote of confidence. And in that vote of confidence, the people can actually go in an election and vote out the whole government. They're out and put another one in. Maybe that may not be a bad idea, but we won't get into that. And I just wonder, this is just what I see and what I sense. I just wonder how often you and I go and approach the throne of God in our prayer lives and we go carrying this vote of no confidence. Well, Lord, I'll go ahead and ask you again. It's on the prayer list, but you haven't answered it yet. Now, Lord, whether you're at Walmart or you're just not hanging out with me right now or what's going on, I don't know, but I'm gonna go ahead and pray it. But I don't really expect you I really don't believe that you're going to honor the request and so often our prayer lives are filled with those kind of moments deep in our hearts we don't really even believe the Lord is going to answer in any capacity I picked up one of my little books the other day uh, some of you enjoy the the words of George Mueller the 19th century Brit, man uh, in, in, in Britain that uh, formed one of the largest orphanages ever in the history of mankind. I mean, just over 29 years of service in that orphanage, just incredible spiritual impact, touching hundreds of lives for children. And George Mueller has written so many powerful things. But one of the things that stands out about his life is he, he professed to never asking anyone for help in the orphanage work that God led him to. He says, not one time did I ever approach anyone individually or a group or a civic organization and say, man, our little orphanage over here needs money. We need, in fact, when Mueller died, over 25,000 recording the writing that he did through the years. He had recorded over 25,000 Moments when God had answered his prayers about needs in the work with those children. Mueller wrote these incredible words. He said, praying is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. Do you think that's the reason the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in us in that what most needed time, the time that we so have need. Incredible. Did you notice the pronoun there? Who is this speaking to in this confidence? Did you see it? We. The people of God. John just takes us back and he reminds us. When we approach God with the attitude of his will. Lord, what is it you desire from me? 
When we go and we approach the throne of God by asking through the will of God in his name for his purpose, then it provides us, John says, confidence and it gives us help in our prayer lives. But I want you to notice something else. Right there in verse 14, John said something else. He said the will of God as we pray hones our prayers. In other words, he focuses our prayers. Write that down. Again, did you see there in verse number 14, if we ask anything according to his will, there it is, his will, he hears us. I want to remind you that God will never answer any prayer outside his will. It's not going to happen. He will answer every prayer inside of his will. And we understand the will of God can, can, can be a very difficult thing for us to ascertain. We know that. I mean, you can't know the will until you what? Seek the will. And you can't find the will of God until you and I are committed to do whatever he asks of us. Did you get that? Prayer, life, is so much about the attitude that we approach the Lord in that moment. It's so amazing to me. I, I know all of us love to hear children pray. I mean, man, it's just so transparent, isn't it? I used to teach preschool. I would preach the early service. I would go teach my preschoolers. Then I'd preach a second service. Now, I'm a lot older, fatter, and broken now. But at one time, I did that every Sunday morning. Then came back and preached Sunday night. But, you know, uh, in doing that, one of the things I enjoy about preschoolers is when we would pray together, I found out all kinds of things about the congregation. I mean, preschoolers lay it on the line, won't they? Okay, now we're going to go around and I want you to pray for something that you really, really want to ask God for today. And boy, they get their hands folded. Little four-year-old girl's praying over there and she says, now, Lord, I want you to help my mom and daddy stop fighting. And man, you just go around the room and they're so very transparent. Somewhere along the line, what is it that makes us come to that point in our spiritual lives as grown-ups that we lose that very connectivity to God that we can ask him for anything and begin to hide things or think that we're hiding things from him? You can't pray in the will of God in that attitude or with that attitude or with that lifestyle. You see, our greatest desire should be to do the will of God and the greatest danger for any of us is to refuse the will of God. And I'm just going to tell you, that's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for me to think of any believer that really is hesitant about doing whatever God has called him to do, whatever his will is for the life. I struggle when I see people that are hesitant about doing that. It doesn't matter what arena, whether it's your finances. You know what the Bible says about how to handle your finances. But being willing to trust him with that. I mean, with our marriages, God's calling us to be greater mates in our marriages. And whatever that takes, Lord, I'm willing to do that. Whatever you're asking of me, with my spiritual gifts. We talked about that a moment ago in our announcement time. God, I have this gift of teaching. Now, what I want to do is offer that up. That's what you've given me. Now, how do you want me to use it? So often we want to put clarification. I'll teach. 
but I only teach in this area. I'll do this, I'll surrender this to make my marriage stronger, but I will not give up this. Have you come to the place in your Christian life that you understand that true surrender to him is not a cafeteria line approach? It's not when we go up and say, Lord, we'll take a little of this, but not that. Oh, I'd love a little extra helping of that, but not any of this, please. See, many of us don't know the will of God because in our seeking, we've never surrendered. When I pray every morning, I know in that moment is one of the key, key moments of how my day is going to go. And I try to always approach the Lord in the most humble, broken, needy way that I can. Not, not, not my needy face, but a true element of, Lord, this is daunting what I'm going to face today. Lord, this is daunting the situation that I'm in or we're in or this person is in. Whoever I may be interceding on their behalf, whatever it may be, just with an attitude of, Lord, what, what can I do? Direct me. What can I do? And so many people don't understand the importance of the will of God in finding it before that seeking what that may be but even before that the brokenness and the humility of our attitude that we come and we just surrender it all to him well I'm thankful for two kinds of prayers in my life one of those types of prayers I'm so thankful for all those moments I've asked God for something and he granted it or at least he answered but I'm also most thankful for those moments when God did not answer my prayers. I would be married to the wrong woman today if God had answered my first prayer. I would be a lawyer today if God had answered my first prayer. Man, I'm so thankful he didn't make me a lawyer. No, I'm just joking, lawyers. Maybe you're in the same situation. But we're so thankful in our prayer lives. You know, I put something in your bulletin that I believe with all my heart. It, it, God, it, God is best at knowing what's best for us, isn't he? I mean, if there's anything you and I can trust today, it's knowing God knows best for us, doesn't he? You remember the two things we struggle with? How to pray and what to pray for. What if we had an advocate that could guide through his will our prayer lives? What if he could even in those moments redirect our prayer lives in the proper direction? Do you think that's the reason Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians 1.9? Here's what he said. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually, here it is, ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, there it is again, praying in his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You see, God desires, listen to me, that you and I know his will. God does not want to hide his will from us. It's not cat and mouse. It's not hide and seek. It's not God hiding his will in a big mound of grass like an Easter egg. 
God gives us three very important tools to know his will. You know what those three tools are? He gives us what? The word of God. He gives us the spirit of God. And he gives us the people of God. Time and time again, those three tools are going to point us to the true will of God. Did you get them? He gives us the what? The word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. Many of you know I struggled with a call to go into ministry. Didn't really know what that felt like, didn't know what that was. And so I ended up teaching and coaching for nine, nine, nine and a half years and so thankful for those nine and a half years. One of these days, if I'm not ever going to retire from ministry, but uh, maybe if I'm not in full-time ministry, I want to go over to Bettville High School and coach once again when I'm 70 years old. And just coach for nothing, man. You know, just... I, I would love to do that again. I, just to love on kids, be a part of their lives. Man, I miss that. But in my struggle, trying to search out the word of God, God, what are you calling me to do vocationally? I really didn't have the essence of that. And then even the spirit, when I would pray, the spirit of God, so often that spirit of God is so important. And sometimes just nudging and whispering. Sometimes there's a loud sense from the spirit of God. The spirit does all kinds of work in us. Still wasn't confirmed through that. But it was two ladies in their 80s in Hawkins, Texas, where I was an interim pastor, I would teach up here. We had about 40 people up here in Oakland Heights Sunday. Ed Merritt and I were teaching up there. Man, that department was rocking and rolling. I'd jump in the car after I taught here and I'd drive as fast as I could to Hawkins, Texas on Sunday morning to preach at this little bitty church that had less people in it than our Sunday school class did. And man, God, over about nine months over there, I was just interim while they were looking for a pastor. Okay, I'll help you for about nine, but I'm not gonna go into ministry. And two little ladies, after several months, came up to me and they said, we know you're really committed to this coaching thing. But they both said in unison, God's called you to preach. And so oftentimes, that's the way God confirms his will in our lives. The word, the spirit, and his people. God wants us to know his will. But what's so important, you and I be willing to, do, to tell God today, whatever God you want to do with my life, I'm willing to do it. Can I just share with you, not one time in 30 years of ministry have I ever had someone come to me and say, Pastor, I'm just telling you, I'll do anything the Lord wants. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I just want to do what he desires me to do. Not one single time in 30 years have I ever known someone to be praying with that spirit and that mind that they did not find and were convinced that God spoke to them and directed exactly to the direction and place of service that God was calling them to. Again, the danger of this cafeteria line. I think each year when we challenge our people to serve somewhere, it's so interesting to see how many disclaimers we put on our forms that we submit back. I'll help in vacation Bible school, but only here. I'll help on committees, but only these two. I just wonder at times if we are not trying to put God in some kind of box 
and get just a little of God when we want him and then wonder why we don't understand the full magnitude of his direction for our lives and what his will really is for us. I'm telling you, the will of God hones all of that. It refocuses all of that. Which really leads us to the essence of what I think is maybe one of the most exciting things in terms of our prayer that John brings us to. Jot this down. He finally ends up by saying the will of God honors our prayers. It doesn't just help and hone them, refocus them. It, the will of God honors our prayers. Look at the end of verse 14, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Two very important things there. He hears us, and I am getting now exactly what I ask for as he responds to us or direct us. Did you see in verse 15, two times he used the word no? There's the result as we pray to him, through his will, calling upon his name. God, what is it you want us to do? Out of that essence, we know. Do you see it in verse 15? We know that he hears us. And then at the end of that verse, we know that we have what we've asked of him. Now, a few moments ago, and I did this intentionally, I share with you there's two very important types of prayers that I'm thankful for in my life, those that God answered and those that God did not answer. Let me just suggest to you kind of a contradiction to that, but maybe you'll see why I stated it that way earlier. Jot this down. There really is no such thing as unanswered prayer. You do know that, don't you? I hope you know that. Some of you for the very first time said, well, I don't know why I believe that or not. There really is no such thing. Nothing exists in terms of uh, a prayer that is unanswered. In fact, jot this down, God will always respond to our prayers. He will always respond. But what we so often misinterpret is, well, God didn't do anything. He didn't do it. He, I didn't hear anything from him. We forget that God's response is to the best of our knowledge, to the best of our understand our, our ability to comprehend God only goes so far, amen? Now, I know Baptists, we think we know it all. But we do know there's some things out there we don't know, right? See how hesitant I, I know I'm preaching in a Baptist church. A Baptist is never going to admit they don't know the answer to something. Never going to admit it. But there's four things, just jot them down. You know these. God often answers one of four ways, at least the best that we can determine through Scripture and through the course of time, God will respond to our prayers. Number one, he'll, he'll respond directly at times. Just a direct answer. Jot down Isaiah 65, 24. Isaiah 65, 24. Isaiah writes these words, before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. You are aware that there are some times as you're praying, God has already answered. You're just not even aware of it. And that's how we expect God to move in our lives, isn't it? Well, God, we ask for healing. We're ready. It sure would save a big hassle of 26 chemo treatments, God, if you just heal me right now. And then if he doesn't, we make this assumption, well, God didn't hear. God didn't answer. God did not do what I asked him to do. But there are those moments when God does answer things directly, immediately. Second little D 
He at times answers our prayers in a delayed fashion. A delayed fashion. Listen to Isaiah 30 in verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. That word alone, longs, gives us a picture of this. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those, listen, who wait for him. There are those moments when we ask God, we feel like that's his will, and God says, yes, but not right now. Yes, but not right now. I had a gentleman in my office. Gosh, it's been, man, time flies. Uh, Pre-pandemic, I'm going to guess February, maybe, January, February. And anyway, the conversation, he, he's a sales rep in the area, and we were just talking about something. And anyway, it, it's so amazing to me. He's out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he said, Pastor, while I'm here, but next thing I knew, we were sitting down talking, and that turned into a lengthy hour-and-a-half visit. But in the course of his conversation, he was bringing up things in his past that had he felt like kind of derailed him spiritually. I ask a number of salesmen from time to time, hey, where do you go to church? What's God doing in your life? A lot of times that gives me a venue or avenue to talk to him about more important things spiritually, not from a business standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. Anyway, he was talking to me about what his kids and marriage. And Anyway, it was interesting, one of the things that he brought up, he, he, you know, he said, one of, one of the things I think that's really set me back is my relationship with my father. He said, I, I had a, a father that didn't spend much time with me. And he said, I remember on my eighth birthday, I asked my dad, the most important ask I ever made of my dad was I asked him for a 22 rifle. And he said, my dad said no. Anyway, he didn't make it as big a deal. He would just mention that and all of the other things. And so when he got through, took quite a long time to hear all of his issues. When he got through with everything, I just said, hey, I want to go back just for a moment. I sense that you are still bitter with your dad. Your dad, what would you say, has been dead for 11 years now. And I said, I just kept hearing these little tidbits. I said, in fact, I was particularly interested in your story about when you were eight, you asked him for a 22 rifle. He said, yes, my two best friends got one. And I said, well, you know, hey, that was a long time ago, and I'm, man, what do I know? But could it be that maybe that was the greatest decision your dad could have made at the time? Do you think, thinking back, you were really ready to handle a rifle at age eight? And just the look on his face when I asked him that. I just remind you in our prayer lives, there may be some times that we ask God for certain things, just suspecting that's his will for our lives, maybe even rooted in a little bit of selfishness, who knows? A little impatience, who knows? That God doesn't just make a direct response or a direct answer, but it's delayed. And so often, maybe we can look back and say, man, I'm just so thankful for how God didn't move and didn't affirm 
what I had asked. I wrote down another D, different. So oftentimes we ask God for one thing, we think that's his will, and God grants something different. It's, it's just totally different than we could ever expect. Only God could do that, couldn't he? Only God would select the runt out of all of David's brothers. Not the little runt. Not that one, Lord. We just ask you for a king. But not that little red-headed one. Not that one. And God says, I'll give you your king, but not the one you expected. Different answer. And then, obviously, at times God answers prayers by straight-out denial. By straight-out denial. There are those times when the Lord just says no. And many times we suspect that is God not answering. I wrote down Luke twenty-two forty-two because maybe the greatest illustration in all the Bible when it comes to the Father's denial was his own son. Remember that? Father, remember what Jesus prayed? If you're willing, some of the translations say, if it would be possible, take this cup from me. This suffering, it was Jesus speaking out of the agony. Remember, he's God-man, man-God. Out of the human hurt and pain of this suffering, God, if it be your will, if it's your will now, the Lord Jesus, perfect, sinless, he prayed with the right heart. If it be your will, take this cup, take this burden. Do do you really need me to be the sacrifice that I'm intended to be? But remember, it was the Lord that understood without pouting, without anger, without being upset, that the Father knew best. You parents that are here today, you know this to be true. You know there's a couple ways to love our kids, to be good to our kids. One is to allow them to have whatever they wanna have, but we also love them so often by what? Saying, hey, you will not have that we also love them by certain things that we do not allow them to have. Did you jot that down? God always responds. Some way, God's always gonna respond. The Bible is true. When we come to him praying the best that we know how of what the will of God is, he will respond in some way. No no unanswered prayers. But jot this down. God will also reward our prayer. Verse 15 says, and we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what is asked of him. How do you find the will of God? Three things I jotted down. Well, when we're praying and searching for the will of God, we never in our prayer lives pray contrary to the word of God. We never pray contrary to the word. That ought to be a given for us. God will not and he cannot Bring something to fruition that's outside of the scope of his very character, the very word of God. Second thing I jotted down is never pray anything less than what would bring glory to God. In our prayer lives, we would never pray anything less than that which would bring glory to God. You remember a moment ago in our survey? Remember the two things we struggle with? What do I pray for and how do I pray? No one really that was thinking clearly would ever pray for God to avenge out of harm. 
Think about some of these things. If we are to obey law and we are to be proper citizens as the word of God instructs us, then asking God when we violate that law to let us not be caught or have to pay retribution would not be within the confines of God's character. We ought to know better than to pray for that. Now, I will go with you this far. It would be hard for me to pray, Lord, I'm speeding. I just pray right now that I'll get busted. But to go so far as to say, God, would you conceal my transgression? And then number three, I jotted down, never pray for your will, but only his will. Can I share something very important with you today? I know that a number of you are probably struggling with some issues in your life. You really don't know what God's will in a particular area of your life is. Maybe you're facing all kinds of uncertainties. All of us have been there. Maybe some of us are camped out there right now in our lives. Maybe you just had a tragic event in your life and you're trying to pick up the pieces. Maybe you're here today and you're in great transition in your life and you're just struggling through and wondering what's next. Can I just suggest to you that even in those moments when we can't figure it out, what we can do is call on, remember, as we search the word of God, we can call on the spirit of God to pray for us. How do we know that's true? Romans 8, 26. Romans 8, 26 tells us the very spirit of God will pray on our behalf. Remember that other way we know the will of God? The people of God, to ask those that love the Lord around us to pray for us and to undergird our lives in prayer support. So very important. Now I gotta wrap up. I want you to do this for me. Turn to the book of John chapter 14. I promise you we would go there and I just wanna show you something about prayer that has really altered a number of things in my own prayer life. Quickly as you're turning, John chapter 14, not 1 John, but John 14, and scroll down to verse number 13. John 14 is the funeral passage, isn't it? It was kind of the, the heartbeat of when Jesus, I mean, I think it really was soaking and saturating into the hearts of the apostles at that moment. These disciples that had been following him, soon to be the apostolic work of the New Testament church and the arms and legs and feet and the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus after his ascension. It was these men that were just coming to grips with the fact Jesus is about to go away. Now he's hinted, Really, he stated that he would be crucified, that he would be leaving, but now it's become very imminent. These are upper room, last couple days experience moments. When you come to John 14, we, we know that chapter because, well, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. There's gonna be many rooms. And if you were in our series in John, over there at more at midweek, you know uh, that concept of mansions. We have in our mind neighborhoods, but we won't get into that right now. That's a whole nother topic. But as you read down through that 14th chapter, Jesus says something that is remarkable. And I want us to end here when we talk about we're a people of prayer. An important reminder. Look in verse 13. The Bible says, this is Jesus' words. And he's talking into these guys about his departure. Hard subject, painful subject. I mean, so painful. Remember that Peter has already challenged him. 
so painful that a couple of the disciples were speechless. They, they had nothing to say. They were just overwhelmed. Guys, in just a few hours, I'm going to be brutalized. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be slaughtered right before your eyes. I'm going to be going away. And just absorbing that, verse 13, John 14 says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Jesus is speaking into their hearts. and He's saying, hey, now when I go away, listen to me. This is important, Jesus says. And I will do, even when you call on me, even though I'm going to be gone from you, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. Look at it. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14. And you may ask, does this not sound eerily familiar to a man that was there to hear these words that John wrote later? You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Here are these gentlemen that have relied on the Lord Jesus to feed them, to supply them all of their needs. Here are these men that have taken on the hatred of so many in the world because of Jesus, but he was always there propping them up. Here is this group now knowing that when Jesus leaves, there'll be no more resources. The one that's taking care of them, the one that's decided, the one that's made all the decisions is about to depart and they're gonna be left as just a disbanded group of people. That's what they have in their mind. But what is Jesus telling them? He's talking to them about the gap. And when you talk about prayer in your life and my life, I want to hear from Jesus. He's God himself. And when I hear from Jesus' own lips how important it is that you and I can overcome the gap. It's a long way in my mind between, from Oakland Heights Baptist Church and the sanctuary on Sunday morning to heaven. I don't know where that is out there. But it's a definitive place. I have the measurements in the Bible. But in my mind, I think it's a long way, a lot further than an airplane. Maybe a lot further than a rocket ship. So all my life, I've known that there's at least a gap between where I am and where I'm going. And so this is important to me not as a pastor so much, but as a follower. We, as we come to pray before him, do you see what Jesus is teaching them? Do you see what Jesus is teaching us? He's speaking into our hearts about saying that gap where I'm going to be and where you currently are, that can be closed so quickly if you will just pray. Peter, I know you're upset. I know you're hurt. But Peter, all you got to do is just say, Jesus, in your name, I'm there with you. James, brother, I'm there with you. Thomas, I know it's tough on you, dude. 
Man, you're such a skeptic. Your glass is always half empty, man. But Thomas, if you'll just call on me. You see, what I've come to understand is when I'm willing to do that in the will of the Lord, in his name, that prayer removes the distance and it supplies the needs that I have right here. That's what prayer's all about. It's not praying to some nebulous God from the Christus ER. It's about saying, God, here I am. Lord Jesus, here I am. And in that moment, in your name, you know I've come humbling myself to do whatever your will is. I just make myself available. But here's a family that th this, this member is about to apparently die and they've asked me to intercede and I'm circling with them now, asking in your name, knowing that I may not know exactly what your will in this matter is, but I know this, you said out of your own lips, Lord Jesus, even in the midst of your physical absence, that that gap will be closed if I will just come and pray. And you see what so often people don't understand is that phrase. Did you see it in verse 13? Pray in my name. Jesus said, Peter, now don't forget this, Pete. Don't forget this, Thomas. Don't forget this, Oakland Heights follower. Don't forget this, New Testament believer. We, don't forget this, you pray in my name. And when you pray in my name, my name is the totality of who I am. So now you're calling on every resource that I bring. I'm so thankful for my father, my earthly father. There's very few stadiums in East Texas that I can't walk up to the gate on any Friday night and tell a gatekeeper that's over the age of 50, I'm the son of Maurice Cook. And nine times out of the ten, they'll say, oh, you're Coach Cook's son. We're not going to charge you $4 tonight. Come on into the game. Now, if that doesn't work, I pull out my clergy badge. And that usually brings about a double charge. But just mentioning that name means so much in the athletic arena. Carries great weight. But when you and I understand that we call upon the name of Jesus, we now are praying in the power and presence in a whole nother realm. We're now going all the way back in time to an act that has changed the whole universe. One single solitary moment. Just a few words.
in the midst of brutality, illegal activity, a man was killed and slaughtered. But not just any man. That man, Jesus. And Jesus says, close the gap. I'm there. Call upon my name. Use my name. And do so with the purest of your heart. And within the confines of the very will that will bring glory and honor to God. Now your prayers will be answered. For we, in our asking mode and selfish hearts, people that I love, listen to me. That's not prayer. That's a calloused, worldly heart speaking. But when we move our desires out of the way and put it and case it in God's will, it helps us, it hones our prayers, and more than anything, God honors those prayers. Would you bow with me today? Lord, we thank you for these few moments. We are people of prayer. Father, is there someone here today that's just wondering, what is God's will for my life? Maybe a person that's never trusted the Lord Jesus can hear my voice today. And Father, we have the answer for them. Your word gives us the answer. Our Lord and Savior spoke those words by saying, let anyone who comes to me let him be saved. Let her be saved. We know that God's desire is that we would all be saved. Maybe there's someone struggling in a marriage, about to quit, about to give up. Maybe there's someone struggling with about just managing finances. It's just eating them up. And the word of God speaks into that and the spirit of God will surround that heart. Maybe there's someone here today that again is just trying to pick up the pieces of their life, just asking what's next. So God, as we pray today, we do so coming before you in our sense of brokenness. Father, maybe our prayer today needs to be that you would turn our eyes up on you, Jesus. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.